Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Good, good to see you, man. I hope the video plays well enough. I'm out in the boonies on a farm, and so you just don't know. If it gets glitchy, I'll kill video for the sake of audio. No worries, man. You do what you got to do. I'll let you run that and control that. Um, either way, man, so grateful. It is great to, it's always great to talk to you, but it's great to see your face too, man. One of my favorite humans. Very much appreciate your time, my brother. Absolutely, man. Of course. Um, I want to make sure you got context. We have a bunch of amazing young men who are joining us right now. So we've got young men from quite literally all over the world right now. Youngest one, I believe, is somewhere around 11 or 12, up to about uh, 19-ish. And every single one of these young men is committed to being the type of man that you and I would want to hire, to run with, to uh, help us lead our organizations, to help us lead the country, to marry my daughters. You don't have any, but these are the type of uh, guys that we have on this call. Um, and so they're committed to 12 months of projects and challenges uh, and taking on real world education. They get to meet with amazing human beings like you every single week. Um, they're pushing themselves in workouts and in readings uh, and, and helping lead each other as well. So you've got literally the best of the best, the best on here, man, which is, which is really exciting. I'd expect nothing less from you, Boudreaux. That's fantastic. Well, let's yeah, do it. Sure. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. I thank you so much. So I'll ask a few questions. You and I'll chat a little bit, and then these guys will have uh, better questions than me. And I and I was thinking about starting with this question from a very reliable source called Wikipedia that tells me John Lovell is actually a grocer from Los Angeles who was born in 1851 and died in 1913. So what kind of game are you playing here, sir? Because that doesn't sound... I've... I've... Uh, Benjamin Button disease, so I was born very old. I age very slowly, uh, like I'm, uh, yeah, one of the the Ronan the Rangers in Lord of the Rings. So I'm very, very old. You are, and I'll die as a baby one day. You, uh, you've done it well, man. You look great. Um, Unfortunately, there's no way half of your folks got that reference. No way. That wasn't. uh, that Kids wasn't for them. It was it was fire. It was good. That wasn't for them. It was for me. It was for everybody else. It I was. don't care. It's all good. <laughs> um, so I actually want to uh, actually want to go back almost as far as that. So uh, our friend Jack Donovan wrote something kind of funny. He says, you know, when John Lovell was born, uh, cut his own, and I believe he may have said it because you said it to him, but he cut his own umbilical cord. He did a backflip uh, off the table, stuck the landing. Uh, perfectly. While I believe that to likely be true, I also want to follow it up with this quote. It says, a state that uh, separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. I actually like that quote a little more. And so I want to go back to when John was maybe 14. John was 15. John was right about the age of the young men that we have here was John Lovell at that point more of a scholar was he more of a warrior 
Did he dip into the cowardice, to the foolishness? Like, who were you at this age? Because I know I was a wreck of a human being. And these guys are far more ahead of the game than I ever was. But I'm interested to hear, how are you at that age? Because you and I are right about the same age. So while I was screwing things up in California, were you rocking it somewhere else? Um, no, I was probably looking for you so we could join in the same ridiculously unwise exploits, create a bunch of scars that we'd have to limp through for the next 20 years. And eventually, through a great amount of unneeded pain, climb our ways out of the stupid time-sucking waste of uh, what were my teenage years and uh, into something that was uh, more full and, and vibrant. I was, I was a punk of a 14-year-old. I, I was not on a good path at all. Though I had uh, a, a good bit of stuff going for me. My dad was a pretty well-to-do businessman, but he was kind of checked out. Uh, he, did, he was good at providing, and he was good at teaching me a few things of how to focus and uh, maybe approach the world uh, from the standpoint of a businessman. That's what he kind of majored on. But other than that, I was kind of checked out. Um, and uh, I ran secretly lawless. I was into all kinds of uh, uh, drugs. I even got arrested. I think at the time I was 15, I got arrested. Uh, but by the time I was 15, my, my parents who um, dealt with a good bit of stuff kind of had enough. And I think my dad was looking for an easy path to be done with parenting so he could do his own thing. And I got shipped off to boarding school at 15 years old. I left the house uh, to, to not return. So I moved out at 15 years old. Wow. Um, Where was this in, boarding school? This was in Georgia. Okay. Uh, pretty strict, but uh, pretty, you know, you know, college preparatory. No, I mean, very serious. There I set records for how much I got in trouble. I think I was suspended most of my discretionary weekends. I was not a good student. I was not a good student at all. I think I was like in the eighth percentile from the bottom. <laughs> so uh, uh, I didn't care. Uh, the only thing I really cared about in high school is wrestling, my girlfriend, and a few friends that we kind of teamed together to have as much reckless fun as humanly possible. Uh, it was pretty empty. Most of my meaning and value I found from wrestling, uh, that, that fight and that building, uh, which was important for me and it marked a different season. But I was still just a, a punk kid that had gained some toughness along the way, but I had no wisdom and, uh, you know, wow. Wow. Oh yeah. And I, I did not know in so many parallels, um, with, with my own story. And maybe that's part of what I, I love about you most, which is not, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, um, but I, you know, a lot of that, uh, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Uh, you can commiserate, but it is a bad thing because some folks would, uh, I think erroneously say, well, I wouldn't change anything along my path because that's what made me who I am now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is really unsophisticated thinking. This is a horrible philosophical fail because yes, it is true. My successes and my letdowns and my mistakes have made me who I am. But if I hadn't have made a lot of those mistakes, I might be way better than I am. I may be far more influential. I may be a far better man uh, and would have affected a lot better change. Yes. And so it does not logically follow that anything bad you ever do ultimately comes out good. 
Now, some folks will pirate a part of Romans chapter eight, where it says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But that is in the confines of a Christian relationship, and it has to do with God's ultimate plan. Because even the disciples, 11 out of 12 of them will be tortured to death. Uh, well, 10 out of 12 will be tortured to death. And while they're being tortured, I was just in Israel a few weeks ago. I saw the place where the brother of Jesus was, uh, James, was thrown off the Temple Mount. And I stood at that corner. I'm like, this is where he was pitched off. It was the south um, southeast corner. There it was, definitely right there in that spot he was martyred. And, you know, on the way down as he is falling at 9.8 meters per second squared to his rocky death at the bottom of the Temple Mount, you might have called out to him, it all works together for good. <laughs> and while it's true, he'd go to heaven and that would be a good thing. Uh, there, there is consequences for your adolescent stupidity. Guys listening in, there's a horrible cost and consequence, which you'll never be able to weigh because you could be a better man living a far, far better life that is more impactful, uh, that maybe is wealthier, that is, you know, you got, you got a, a, a healthy marriage, you got a good business, all those things. So you guys, the, the power of that, and I don't know, it might've just cut out on it too, maybe, but, um, and that's okay. If, if it did, he'll be able to jump back in. Um, but the power of, of what he was, the power of what he was just saying right there, right? It, you're going to hear, we're talking about patterns all the time. Talk about patterns and following the patterns of all these good men. And what you hear in some of these patterns, we do see over and over. We see it. Hey, I struggled here. I faced these demons here. I faced these battles here. And I learned so much from it. Right, because of my mistakes, I was able to learn all this. Some of the beauty of what we have going on right here is that you're able to hear some of these mistakes prior to and not repeat that. Remember when we had Bo Nickel on? Bo Nickel was like, "Man, I didn't, I really didn't screw up at all," and I'm thankful for it. Right? That is the pattern Mr. Level's talking about right there. We don't learn from these mistakes. Oh, there he is. He's back now. Learn from these mistakes. So that you're not making those those same those same ones. There you go. I think we've I think we've got you. Experience is an effect. Experience is an effective teacher, but it's a painful one. Yes, sir. It is more wise to instead of letting experience beat the crap out of you, get you a bunch of bloody noses and a bunch of baggage you're going to carry through your whole life. It is better to learn through the wisdom of the people before you. I'd rather live through, I'd rather learn from other people's painful experiences. You know, I don't need to undergo torture to know that it hurts. I've like, I've seen that, don't want to do that. Let's not do something that brings it about. And so uh, avoid my mistakes so that you can not only get where I've been, but to go far, much farther. That's the goal. And I'm rooting you on. Man, so, so good. So good. So where then was the pivot for you, because truly, I, and I've, I've got a, um, I, I have a phenomenal, I'm a, I'm a blessed man. I'm the most blessed man that I know. I've got a phenomenal network of human beings that I can reach out to anytime, have phenomenal conversations, men that are much more wise than I am that can speak into my life. I have those men and I 
put you in that conversation of somebody that I believe brings integrity and wisdom without compromise. I believe that I could go to John and go, hey, man, I'm wrestling with this. And you would not hesitate if it was the right thing to do to tell me, hey, you're being an idiot here. Right. And here's how to be a better man in this scenario. And I think you would lovingly do that. And I don't think everybody would do that. A lot of people tell you what you want to hear versus what you need to hear. Right. So where is this hit then from, you know, this young, young boy to deciding maybe I should take on this, uh, you know, manhood sort of thing? Where's that pivot for you? You know, I completed high school. I did well in wrestling. That was kind of my thing. I went to college and I just played fraternity and just got hammered drunk and, and chased girls uh, for a year, year and a half. Uh, and then for a bunch of reasons that stacked up and seemed really good at the time, I joined the military. I wanted to be a special operations guy. And so I really swung for the fences and thought, you know, I am uh, capable of focusing and enduring a lot of pain and suffering. And I'm a pretty uh, anyway, I thought may, may, maybe that'd be a good thing. And I just went for it and I happened to make it and that was good. But still, a uh, pretty tough kid, but a, an unwise punk. And that, that's what I was. Well, uh, was something that I wish it was kind of, I wish I could tell you guys of like, well, I, then I just made a vow or then I tried much harder. Then I saw the line and I didn't, it really had nothing to do with me. It's more something that happened to me. Uh, I had a pretty dramatic, and I'd say maybe a violent, for lack of a better word, violent conversion to Christianity. And at that point, like a light bulb, uh, God, Jesus turned on my desire to learn and set me on a path of wisdom uh, and holy ambition and a desire to live for others. So, and so it was, I was truly one way for my life. Mm. And then one day around May 20th of 2001, everything changed with a conversion to Christianity. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I don't really care. Uh, but he sure did find me and, uh, he, he unmade me. Uh, it, it was, it was not a fun time. That was not a fun conversion. So, uh, but anyway, I was unmade and remade in those days following. When you say that was not fun, that was unfun. What does that mean? Did, uh, is that, was that a, but, you know, some folks are like, I accept Jesus. And I'm like, you know, that, that's fine. But I was a tough nut to crack, you know, of like uh, I was. Uh, and so if you have a heart that is hard, the only way to change it is to break it first. It's got mm -hmm. a tough exoskeleton. You shatter it. And that's how the heart is remade. Well, mm -hmm. the more stubborn and lawless and stupid you are, the harder you've got to hit, be hit before you can learn something and be changed from the inside out. And so for the Lord to get my heart, he had to break it. And that's what he did. He broke me. Mm, powerful. In a conversion. So it didn't come from me. I was not looking for God. Uh, and so that's not everyone's experience. And then the thing is, is it's kind of like, well, well, how do you make that happen? I'm like, again, I didn't make anything happen. It's like I was going down the road and got attacked by a lion, and that lion was Jesus. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Oh, I love that. So it has I nothing want... to do with me. I had yeah. nothing to do with my testimony. Yeah. I had as much to do with my spiritual birth as I did with my physical one. Oh, Ooh, you guys hear that? 
as much to do with the spiritual birth as to do with this physical one. I, I, I was a rescued man is what happened. I got rescued. That's what happened. Mm. Yeah. So I, you know, the, the, the educator of me or in me starts to, I, I start to try to formulate these questions and, and think about, okay, well, what if, you know, we talked about earlier that, um, you know, we don't have to repeat these same mistakes and these same patterns of, of reckless behavior. We can learn from other people's mistakes and we can maybe be a better man, but I'm sitting here going, man, is it more important than for the man who is rescued? Does he have a different sense for his rescuer than if he grew up pursuing him? And, and does John Lovell become the same man now if he wasn't rescued, if he grew up with just, hey, here's who, here's who God is. And you, you know, like, what is that dichotomy look like? And uh, that's obviously a question that can't fully be answered, but that's how my mind starts to explore that. Right. Like, um, you know, did, did you, does that, you know, is that all part of the, that's, that's part of the grand design and it made it, and it made it better. So it's good that you had those. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm just a rescued guy and now I'm on a journey and, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> I love it, man. So I, I want to, everybody, we can, everybody knows, uh, who you are in terms of what you've gotten to do, you know, business-wise, the impact that you're having on the world, um, your your uh, very forward-facing voice around, you know, taking this country back and and what it looks like to pursue God and all. I think I think everybody has a good idea about that. I want to take it from you had this violent conversion, you had a very every all of us have our upbringing right so you had your dad who you said was good at providing maybe taught you some things but also kind of wanted to be done so you got the combination of those things there you got a father who gave the example the best example he could you got this violent conversion shifting your ways how does that impact you when you meet rebecca and uh and you know you ultimately become a a husband um, were, were those things that, that you took and go, okay, well, I got all the good stuff here and, and now I'm ready to rock and roll where there's still some things you had to learn the hard way. What does that look like for you as husband and father? Cause those are more important than even those other forward facing things. Sure. So, uh, a part of almost dying a lot makes you want to, uh, find some stability. If any of you guys have seen, um, the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Uh, you know, throw a little message up if you guys have, have seen uh, Gladiator. So I know my audience here. But in that, Russell Crowe is the commander of the Northern Armies in ancient Rome. This should have been uh, the second century BC. All right, Mike has seen it. Riker, do your homework. Watch Gladiator. And in, in, in case you're old enough and your parents agree that that's a good move. Uh, but anyway, it's a good masculine, hearty movie. But you know, the one thing that this warrior wants more than anything is just to go home and be at his farm and have some peace. And that's because, you know, you, you almost dying a bunch of times really makes you want to uh, reevaluate what's most important. And it's those relationships to live in peace and to uh, really cozy into the things that matter most. And if you guys were facing your end tomorrow, 
you would uh, all of the sudden realize that most of what you're worried about today isn't actually that important. It's just a handful of relationships and you'd want to spend every moment with those. No one would play a single moment of a video game. You wouldn't watch a single minute of television. You'd run toward those relationships. You would hold them every moment and, uh, you know, say your last things and then you would pass on. I almost died a lot, guys. I almost got shot and blown up a whole bunch of times. I almost uh, froze to death in hypothermia. And then I almost got shot a bunch more. And so uh, when I finally got out of the military after five combat tours, I wanted to get married. And I was on the prowl. I was looking for a bride. <laughs> and uh, what you can't know is what you're looking for in a wife. Uh, yeah, meaning you, you, you can't carry around a picture of her because you've never met her. <laughs> right. You know, you all you can do, the best you can do is say, I don't want these variables and I do want these other variables. Mm -hmm. But this mysterious embodiment of that is going to have to blindside you. And when I first met my wife, she was dating the worship pastor for a church that I joined right after leaving the military and going to college. And I thought, hey, she's a hottie, but she kind of seemed like a diva, like a beauty queen. She was mrs georgia southern so like beauty pageant winner and i'm like that looks like a, a, a hot mess of crazy you know you don't want that it's like pretty to look at not good enough that that her her head's gonna be a bag of stray cats and so i, I struck up a friendship with this worship leader and we were friends but i wasn't interested in her and she didn't like me either uh because i don't know i stole a lot of her boyfriend's uh, attention and time of like I had this beard and I was riding a Harley everywhere and coming into this college as a war veteran it's kind of like I don't know maybe I created a little bit more of a buzz than she was used to and just out of principle she kind of resented me and we were around each other for about a year and a half for two years now finally they broke up and all of our friends kind of cast her to the side and really sided with her boyfriend and I thought that's jacked up well why why is this girl left in the lurch why is all of a sudden she losing her friends uh now i became aware in the process that she didn't like me like even as a friend so i had other people go to her and i talked <laughs> them into being her friend and then finally we all hung out in a group i'd been around her before but i think the lord just turned on a light switch when all of a sudden we looked at each other one way and it's like a veil taken off it's like dark glasses were taken off we saw each other clearly and we were married and like seven months we dated for five months we were engaged for two months and then we got married wow um and uh, now we we're about to turn 16 years oh it's awesome man congratulations very cool thank you very cool that's awesome man. we um we just celebrated 14 years married uh earlier this week 17 together so right about again right about the same time as you guys so same, yeah about the same that's yes, awesome sir. yeah congrats man thank it's you sir. huge deal yeah, it Which, is. you know, that that's and if, if those are uh, if, if your current marriage is a healthy one, like you're still in love, there's still romance and, and there's health in there and, and mutual encouragement and a, a sweet friendship aside for the romance and physical aspects. I, guys, I want you all to know how I measure success in a world that right there tells me far more important metrics of success than how much money he's got in the bank account and what he drives as a car if you saw my cars i'm looking at them right now they're all about a hundred thousand plousand plus miles they're all old and i don't really care about them. not impressive 
uh, and even my farmhouse here. It's nothing impressive, but my marriage is something that should make you all jealous. And my kids as well, where they're at, and my relationships and, and the things that I stand for, those are the measures of success. And so I want you guys to know that I don't care uh, really as much about Matt's business as I do about uh, um, Matt's marriage. That is a far more, that's a far more worthy measure of success. You better be extremely smart in picking a bride. And I would, I would venture to say most of you, you're just not going to be able to see girls clearly. You're just too much hormones and too much stupidity. You're going to make terrible decisions if you don't lean on the wisdom of other folks that are wiser and that do know something. Um, so I just wanted to go ahead and float that out there because that's something I could not have heard when I was your age. Maybe someone out there will hear it. So good, man. So good. And could not, you know, could not agree more. Part of us getting to spend some time in Mexico. And that was, you know, the thing for me, the biggest takeaway is watching, you know, observing all of these men who I know are all high level men in various components, but watching how they were with their families. What does that relationship look like with the wife and kids, right? I think that was, that's the biggest tell uh, of any of that. And it was very, very obvious, um, you know, very early on with Goombeck and you and your boys and, and um, you know, something that you just can't, you're not going to fake it for an entire week you know, down there, you're going to see, you're going to see, there's no such thing as perfection, but you're going to see if something's strong, you know, and, and that's a big deal. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so how does that impact? And then gentlemen, uh, I'm going to be quiet after this. So you guys can start putting your hands up. I know you guys are going to have some questions. So please go ahead and start putting your hands up on that. Um, but how does that, what you, you know, what you said about you know, young men having a hard time seeing girls straight. So true. Um, the propensity for us, you know, our DNA, our wiring to want to go save the princess, but we also want to go on an adventure and we want to get physical and we want to do, you know, all of these things, man. How does that impact how you parent your young men, especially knowing the background that you had there? What are you guys intentional about doing or not doing maybe that's, that's not necessarily par for the course? rephrase that a moment i'm trying to um how does my marriage yeah. impact so, how so i parent is, i think is that the, the, I, I think uh really more all of all of it kind of the the culmination of of what we talked about you had your you know your background as a young man um doing mm, less okay. than savory things now you've got a strong marriage but you also understand you're as raising two young men well shoot i was a mess yeah, yeah. they're not going to see girls clearly but it's in our dna to want to find those girls like parenting in the 21st century where there's more distractions than ever before like how are you guys approaching that maybe differently than other people um and more intentional and, and is there anything is it more about adding certain things to them avoiding other things like how do you guys just tackle raising young men in general very good yeah that's a great question one is there is no way to uh replace just good old-fashioned spending time with them mm -hmm. um and uh, that's not really something that I was used to. Um, and also my dad was kind of, uh, you know, of, I've never seen my father, you know, tear up or cry. Uh, you know, I've never had any kind of emotional 
not a vulnerability. That was that was girl stuff for me. I'm like, bro, you're gonna suck at life if you are not able to emotionally connect to your wife and your kids and some other relationships. That's part of masculinity. Romance is ever so much an important part of masculinity. If you do not grow into being a good romantic and keep that up through hard work, you're just not going to be a very successful man. <laughs> it's just not. It's not about being all warrior and no poet. You got to be both. Mm-hmm. It's lions and lambs, lovers and fighters, warriors and poets. It really is both and. It's not either or. But the world will really present an either or. You choose. Are you going to be sweet, sensitive, and funny? Are you going to be strong, determined, and bold. And if you are one of those kind of tracks and not the other, you're going to be a failure of a human. You'll be successful in some ways, like in the military, you'll be good at war, but you'll suck at, you know, actual life. Uh, or you'll be really good at business, but your marriage will fall apart and you'll get divorced uh, eventually and your, your kids will grow up to resent you. Uh, you know, but you, you really need to be able to do completely both, right? And so, uh, Um, with my kids, I want to spend time with them. I recognize you can teach people what you know, but you can only really replicate who you are. And I want my kids to know me, my strengths, my weaknesses, my uncertainties, uh, what I do know, how I know it. Uh, I want to spend time with them. I want to model a full, vibrant masculinity. And so, you know, we do stuff. We're going camping next weekend and we're going to Cirque du Soleil here in uh, two weeks. We're doing the air show on Sunday and we got a rodeo uh, tomorrow night. And so we're spending time. We ride horses together. And uh, right now my boys are up homeschooling. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just involved in their lives. A lot of you know kids just won't have that. And um, I had pieces of that. Uh, you know, I was shoulder to shoulder. I'd watch my dad fix a car, you know, and so it's not like I didn't get to spend time, but I, I don't want to replicate the wounds that I carry, um, you know, and so that, that, that's kind of uh, our, our tract with kids. I, I want my kids to be ready for a world that's going to hate you. Uh, you know, if you stand for something uh, that's worthy guys, the world is going to hate you for it. Remember, Jesus uh, came to us a couple thousand years ago, the perfect man, and didn't do anything wrong, and they tortured and murdered him for it. You know, like if if you stand for something, in a place in Matthew chapter 7 says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so they did to the false prophets. If no one thinks badly of you, it's because you're not standing for anything worthy. Mm-hmm. You should have people that love you and people that despise you. Just make sure the people that despise you, when you really drill down, they don't have a really valid reason for it. It's just they don't like good stuff. You know, they want to they want to kill and abort babies, and you don't want dead babies. That they want to mutilate and trans children, and you don't want that. You stand for sane logic, uh, right? And so. You're for freedom, uh, you know, in our constitutional amendments. And they want to be able to seize power and silence the opposition, uh, you know. And so you're going to have to stand for something good, guys. If you don't stand for anything good, your life won't be worth anything when it's all said and done. 
then you'll know it and you'll carry that as you entertain yourself uh, uh, day after day so that you can get to the end of your life and say, my life was squandered in entertainment and pleasure and it didn't count for anything and it, you'll despair. I want my life to count for something and it doesn't mean being uh, rich, well entertained and to live as comfortably or as long as possible. I want to stand for something that matters and that's going to hurt me along the way. Uh, badly. Uh, no matter what you do in life, guys, you are careening toward pain. Pain and suffering is coming, but you get to decide whether you suffer for something worthy of suffering. That's right. No matter what, suffering is coming. That's so, right. Anyway, there you go. Man, I, I would not have been angry at you if you had just been like, and that's it, and hung up right there and just ended like I wouldn't, I couldn't even have been mad at you on that. Well said, sir. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And um, before I get to Mr. Jones, too, I just want to uh, put, you know, just put a bug in there. My girls are 11 and nine, roughly around the same age as your boys. And I'm not against arranged marriages. That's completely uh, unrelated. Bro, but I, I just wanted if, to. If you know. have wisdom, if you have wisdom in the arrangement of marriages, I guarantee you arranged some arranged marriages would absolutely work better than just follow your heart. Guys, your heart is deceitful and your hormones are like just turning up a fire hydrant on it. Your hormones are liars. Oh, They're going to land you next to a toxic girl who looks pretty for a few years and then turns into a crazy person and you just can't see it. Beware. Beware. 100%. Yeah. I jokingly talk about it all the time, but I am uh, 150% serious. Yeah. I love Absolutely. Man. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.